0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: to worship at Northminster on this beautiful Pentecost Sunday morning. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or viewing this worship service over our YouTube channel, we're so glad that you are with us. And if you're visiting with us, we hope that you'll participate in all uh, aspects of our worship service this morning. As I say uh, every time I do this, our first gift of God in our service this morning is our gift of presence, our just showing up and being here. So if you're comfortable doing so, if you would take the uh, attendance register you'll find there on the uh, uh, hymnal holders on the inside aisle and complete that, we would appreciate it. We had a little unexpected excitement here yesterday morning. It seems that our 31-year-old hot water heater in the kitchen decided to burst overnight. <laughs> Fortunately, Samuel Boatnig. Uh, came early yesterday to prepare the communion elements and discovered water in lots of places. And thanks to Samuel, Hannah Clark, Peggy Burns, Robert Crawford, D.H. Clark, and Susan Curry with a little assist from me, and two wet backs and lots of fans, we are dry again. And we already have a new hot water heater. Oh, and thanks to plumbers who work on Saturday. Remember children and youth this afternoon at 4.30 at Beth Mayfield's house. The uh, uh, address is in the, the uh, insert in order of worship, but I understand that Google will not get you there to that address. So you just need old fashioned uh, directions that Beth will be happy to give to you. Here's Beth right here if you need those directions. Uh, there will be fish to eat and there will be fish to fish. And you don't have to catch your fish to eat fish. There will be fish in any event. But if you want to fish, there will be an opportunity to fish as well. And, and if you have a fishing pole, right, bring, bring it. So a time for, for children and youth uh, to have some a good time this afternoon beginning at 4.30 at, at Beth's house. So uh, obviously DH and I are back from Cuba and have been back for more than a week and we will have more to tell you in the coming days about our visit there. It was really, really a good visit, but things are tough, tough, tough in Cuba right now. Uh, lack of food, lack of medicine, lack of gasoline, lack of electricity, uh, it's just a tough time for lots of different reasons, and we'll, we will try to write something, uh, and, and also be D.H. Uh, intends to, in his spare time, which is not much lately, to put together a video, too, of our time there. Please remember our mission trunk emphasis this month is the Ronald McDonald House, and you'll find more information about their needs and the insert in the order of worship. So please help fill up our mission trunk for this very worthy cause, and thanks to those of you who have already helped out in that regard. You'll notice this morning a couple of new or relatively new faces in the uh in the choir, they're uh, actually sang with us last year, and actually once has sung with us uh, because he used to live in Monroe and, and sang with us. But uh, Aaron Brown and, and Larry Scott Williams are, are will be with us this morning, and we're so thankful for them. They are participating during June in the uh, in the MME program, the Master of Musical Education. Is that right? In choral conducting. Uh, at at ULM, so they'll be getting their MMEs at some point in the future, and we're so appreciative of their being with us in in, uh, the choir this morning and during June, and uh, perhaps some others from the program will will be joining us uh, here in the near future. And as always, we're thankful to our flower committee for their wonderful work. Uh, And this morning, Robert Crawford, as he has done, I think, Every Pentecost in recent memory created this beautiful floral arrangement uh, of flames, of the flame of, uh, of, 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 of Pentecost, uh, truly an, uh, an expression of the fire of Pentecost. And so after the service, as usual, uh, please feel free to take some of the flowers to brighten yours or someone else's week. And it's always... Uh, review the insert in the order of worship uh, or check out the newsletter for other announcements and opportunities and now let us worship God together
2: we are called to worship with the first word spoken in unison come Holy Spirit The wind of God, the breath of life. Come, Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit, Good. Maybe the Holy Spirit will get here then. Come, Holy Spirit. Teacher of wisdom, reminder of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Grantor of forgiveness, giver of peace. Come, Holy Spirit and be received in us as we worship today.
3: These words from the prophet Joel. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain, as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army that I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame." You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Then afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants." In those days, I will pour out my spirit. The prophet speaks.
0: Thanks be to God.
2: I want us to do something today that we don't often do, uh, at least in public, and that is I'd like for us to pray a prayer of confession. Now, some churches have a confession of sin every week. We don't. I don't think it's because we need it less than those other sinners, Um, and it's not that we don't confess privately. It just means that sometimes. Sometimes, and I think a day like today, as the Spirit moves us, let us pray. Spirit of life and love, we confess that we often fail to catch your wind as it blows through us, your church. When you seek to ignite us, we quench the fire of your love and dissipate the power of your presence. You long to make us into your presence on earth, but in place of unity, we sow discord. We allow the value systems of our society to separate us from your good intentions for us as we use your gifts for our own benefits. For give us merciful spirit, burn away the impurities, and forge us into strong and useful instruments in your service. Amen. Hear the good news: God's very being is grace. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven New Testament reading is from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Listen for the Word of God to us this morning. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they ask, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Amen. I was in my office with my head bowed in silence, deep in meditation. I think I looked rather spiritual, unless you knew that I was meditating on what was for lunch. (laughs) A young man came in to see me and stirred me from my meditation, and he seemed extremely earnest as he greeted me and took a seat. I didn't know him, I didn't know why he was there. So I asked him what brought him to our church today, and his answer took me back I'm looking for a spirit filled church. He said, is this a spirit-filled church with a spirit-filled pastor? Well, I knew that I had been filled with certain spirits at certain times, (laughs) as were many of my happy congregation. But because he was so sincere, I wanted to answer him sincerely, and I really knew his underlying concern. Were we a congregation which practiced speaking in tongues and other gifts. Now, I believe we were spirit-filled church and on occasion, even I was spirit-filled, but not in the way the young man came to see. I wish I could say that I gave him a brilliant theological nugget of truth, but I stammered and stuttered my way to say to him, we're really pretty tame and stodgy around here, And the only speaking in tongues is when the choir sings in Latin. (laughs) Wasn't the answer he was looking for. And he left still looking for a spirit-filled church. I hope he found it. Truth is that the spirit is most often associated with feelings and emotion. I can feel the spirit here this morning. Really? God's presence is determined by your emotion. If you're having a bad day, God doesn't show up. This Sunday of the church year is the day of Pentecost. The texts in Joel and Acts take us to the Spirit breathing the church into being, the birthday of the church. How do I know? Because each apostle was standing there and a fire was like on top of each disciple. That's the birthday candle. And the wind, wait a minute, the wind blew the candles to light, not didn't blow them out. Anyway, it was the church's birthday. Pentecost is one of the three holy days of the Jewish faith. The other are Passover and Sukkot, the Feast of Booths. Think of the old brush arbors that they had in those days. And these holy days were required that every Jewish pilgrim attend the temple in Jerusalem. And so Jews scattered around the Roman Empire called the Diaspora were gathered there in Jerusalem. It was for Pentecost, the spring harvest festival, the 50th day after Passover. Later, for Christians, the 50th day after Easter became the day of Pentecost. That young man was looking for a Pentecostal-like church. Now I think from other stories I've told you you know that I come from Pentecostal stock on both sides the cluck and the avant side of the family and I remember going to the holiness church in Van Buren, Arkansas under the shade of the catalpa trees and if I was good during church I got to pick those big fat catalpa worms for the next time we went fishing it was great motivation to be good. <laughs> also, I was scared straight when I heard the speaking in tongues at the church. My dad's mom, Mama Cluck, would love to tell my mother about how big my eyes would get when some sister got the Spirit. These Pentecostal and holiness traditions harken back to the day of Pentecost as the theological foundation for the practices of their faith. But what does Pentecost look like when we carefully consider the scripture? Pentecost was doing Babel backwards. Remember the Old Testament story, the the Tower of Babel? At Babel, they were building a stairway to heaven, a multi-tiered ziggurat. At that time, according to Scripture, all humanity spoke one language. So God confused their language so they couldn't work together to reach heaven on their own. Pentecost reverses Babel, allowing speakers of different languages to hear the apostles in their mother tongue. That image is like the United Nations. One person is there giving a speech Right? They're all there with their headphones and they hear the speech given in a foreign language as their own native language. One speaker in one language, others on the headphones hear it in their language. The miracle is in the ear of the hearer on the day of Pentecost, not the mouth of the speaker. It was not an unknown language, glossolalia, a spiritual tongue mentioned in other parts of the the scripture, but it was a native language of the hearer. The purpose of this speaking in tongues was that they learned it for the sake of the gospel. If you hear the good news in Jesus Christ in your native language, you can understand it more fully and share it more accurately. If you hear in the tongue in which you naturally think, you can pass on the good news in the most effective manner. The story of Pentecost, it's spectacular. It's worthy of direction by Steven Spielberg. No wonder Christians have sought to replicate such an experience. Though unknown tongues or glossolalia is not mentioned in the Pentecost narrative. Ecstatic speaking in tongues appears in many ancient and modern religions. It occurs among adherents of ancient Greek religions. It appears in the Inuit shamanistic rituals. And in the Middle Ages, it was a sign, they said, of demon possession. So there's something there that happens when language becomes ecstatic as a result of a trance. If you think of the presence of the spirit, it's all quiet and sincere silence, think again. The spirit came roaring like a wind, and divided tongues as a fire descended. Notice in the English translation as well as the original Greek, their figures of speech in the story—a figure of speech called a simile, a comparison like using "like" or "as," not a metaphor which equates the comparison. Pentecostal similes were used to convey the inconceivable, inexplicable, indescribable events and experiences of that day. They were filled with the Spirit. No simile, a metaphor. They spoke in tongues not learned. Was it literally true or was it literarily true? The observers must not have seen or heard much. They thought they were drunk. So short of this figurative experience of roaring wind and cloven flame, where can we find the Spirit? Where can we say, that's the Spirit? How can we tell the Spirit of God? One of the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament is the gift of discernment, also known the discernment of spirits, or distinguishing between spirits. The Greek word for that discernment is diocrisis. The word describes being able to distinguish, discern, judge, and appraise a person's statement or situation or environment. The ability to to distinguish between spirits. The spirit is mystery. Like wind, you can't see where it comes from or where it goes. You can only see the results like the trees. Oh, they are. Gently rustling up there or when it storms that mysterious wind knocks down big limbs and even big trees in my yard how do you test the spirits to see if the spirit you perceive is the spirit of God you ask is it the spirit of God in Jesus Christ Is it the spirit of the creator who made all things and created them good? Is it the spirit of the creator that made human beings in the very image of God? Much of what is attributed to the spirit is life-denying, love-denying, humanity-denying. Is that the spirit? A certain ultra-modest fashion style? A certain kind of media? A certain music, literature, theater, film, dance? which usually sanitizes the grid of life, is the spirit of the creator who made flesh and fed flesh and loved flesh, the spirit you see. As Christians, we look for the spirit to know who God is by what we see in Jesus. The first sermon Jesus gave, he quoted Isaiah. Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Spirit has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The Spirit has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It does not say that the Spirit of Yahweh, the Lord, is upon me to make me emotional, ecstatic, esoteric, Don't get me wrong, I have nothing against emotion in religion. It's just that I've experienced so much emotion in my early years in fundamentalism. And I learned very quickly that I was good at manipulating audiences with emotion. So I may have gone too far in the other direction. (laughs) Because I'm so emotional, I trust no emotion. It does not say that the Spirit of God is upon me to make me meditate, contemplate, or hallucinate. Again, I have nothing against meditative exercises. It's just that I've tried every known path to God and have settled on the path of unknowing. God is beyond my knowing. Therefore, all I can do is approximate God in images, metaphors, and similes. The Spirit might be there in contemplative practices. The Spirit might be in our worship. But not because we keep silent or chant a mantra. The Spirit is not automatically present in our worship. We invoke God's Spirit. That's what invocation means. We pray that God may grant the Spirit to us in worship. This assembly room is not automatically a sanctuary because we say so. In other traditions, the sanctuary is a room where the elements of communion are stored because these elements have become the actual literal literal presence of Christ. They are holy, the container holding them is holy, the room of assembly is holy, thus called a sanctuary. In the free church tradition, nothing is sacred in and of itself. The Spirit chooses where to meet us. Space, therefore, is not intrinsically holy, but only holy by the presence of this capricious Spirit of God. Space becomes holy when the Spirit of God meets the material and the mortal. That's the Spirit. We don't conjure up the holy by where we are or what we do. We invite the Spirit, implore the Spirit to be in our midst. How do we know that our spirit is that our worship is filled with the spirit? We don't. We can only pray that the spirit may take our human offering and make it spiritual. Can we ever be sure when we say that's the spirit? Jesus showed us some places we can go. When the good news is brought to the poor, when the captives and the sightless no release where the oppressed find justice, where the year of Yahweh's favor is made manifest, that's the Spirit. It'd be easier if in the Spirit meant our pious pomp and circumstance. If the Spirit would just allow us to drop out of this sin-stained society and spend our time with like-minded spiritual warriors praying the hell out of this world, it'd be much easier if the Spirit was with us when and where we want the Spirit to be. At least for all the trouble we've gone through to follow Jesus, the Spirit could lead us to a safe, peaceful pasture of smug passivity. Instead, the Spirit that blows on Pentecost to announce the good news in everyone's native tongue moves us to take the message of Jesus, that God is love to people as they are and where they are. And when you've been loved enough by God to share that love with someone who's never felt the love of God or who needs a reminder of God's love, that's the Spirit. When you have received so much and given to those in need no less than more, that's the Spirit. When you work and vote and meddle in politics, advocating the cause of the poor and the disenfranchised, that's the Spirit. When you redress injustices which hold people captive by opening blind eyes, that's the Spirit. When you participate in the overcoming of oppression, that's the Spirit. When you give voice to those long silenced by systems of exploitation, that's the Spirit. When today is the day you act out God's favor with those unfavored and forgotten, that's the Spirit. Wouldn't it be something if we've been looking in all the wrong places for the Spirit we call holy? If we analyze the first sermon of Jesus, we may be astonished to find what the Spirit of God commands to be done in the world starts with the good news being preached, proclaimed, announced, declared. Could it be the Spirit is most evidence when we are a conduit for others to connect with God's love? and grace and mercy, where has that happened in your life? I'm brought back to a time, and I'm sitting by the bedside of a man who's dying with AIDS. It was before effective treatment, and in the days of societal isolation and revulsion, We were a part of Rain, the Regional AIDS Interfaith Network, a group of churches dedicated to care for victims of AIDS. Each participating church was assigned a person dying. I remember holding a piece of ice to our guy's cracked, parched lips, holding him. As society branded him untouchable. And at his funeral at our church, we were one of the few churches who conducted AIDS funerals. A man came to the church to protest what we were doing. He entered through the church kitchen and came face to face with one of our sweet little old ladies. Preparing refreshments for after the service. He loudly lambasted what we were doing in no uncertain terms. And then he stopped to wait for a response. And our sweet church lady said to him, Would you like a cup of coffee and a cinnamon bun? (laughs) He left without saying another word, or interrupting the service. That's the Spirit. Our similes and metaphors for the Spirit's presence will probably be more subtle than those the day of Pentecost, when the presence of God just stormed in and took over. And we shouldn't be waiting for Steven Spielberg to present the summer blockbuster, Pentecost, the sequel. (laughs) But we can celebrate the birthday of the church by living the good news that God is love and Jesus proves it. That's the Spirit. We can even dream dreams and see visions of what Northminster is meant to be and yet to be. A new pastor is coming, and I've talked to Jillian and She's not bringing all of the special effects with her. We won't have the drama of that first Pentecost, but we will have careful, thoughtful, pastoral gifts that she has to share with us and the community. And we pray that someday soon, when Jillian comes among us, we will all say, that's the Spirit.